The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. As you can see, I'm not Gary DeSalvo. My name is Tim Cartwright. I'm the junior high pastor and also the local outreach pastor here uh, at the church. And uh, local outreach has been a recent thing, although you know, I've loved getting involved in the community for the last nine years that we've been here. Uh, but officially, now the local outreach pastor as well, and enjoying uh, doing that. And I do want to mention uh, in our, this hour uh, today, we have uh, someone who's serving in the Arabian Peninsula, uh, Brendan, Brenda McLaughlin. Uh, where are you at, Brenda? All right, why don't you give her a big round of applause, Brenda? Thank you for being with us. We appreciate you serving over there. and. It's exciting to see people come home from the field, and, and it's just great. Uh, you know, last week, uh, we heard from uh, Chase, and he's throwing, you know, pictures up of his kids, so, you know, I had to return the favor and do that myself as well. Uh, we got Sydney on the right, Kendall in the middle, Noah, I'm not sure what he's looking at, and then we got Owen down the front. And so, I'm not just throwing pictures up there because they look awesome and they're great kids, but uh, it does tie into the message this morning. Um, we've been part and personally experienced justice in, in a pretty clear, uh, decisive way as we uh, have been in the process of adopting little Owen since he was a week old. So he'll be two November 11th. And so this process has been a long one. Uh, the entire process has been almost four years. And so the church has come alongside us. We've seen justice done in so many ways and we're so thankful and just last Thursday, we sat before, or stood before Judge Jones with our right hand up, and a bunch of people celebrating with us in the courtroom that he's officially our son. So, yeah. So it's just, it's amazing to, to have uh, four kids, and also crazy. Uh, there's lots of stories even on that adoption day that involve him throwing up three times, but I don't have time to talk to you about that. But uh, it's crazy. Uh, but I am so happy with what God is doing and has done through this justice series. Uh, we've been really looking into God's heart uh, for the oppressed, the powerless, the outcast, the fatherless, the stranger, and the poor. We've seen how our Father expects His people to live as active agents of justice in the world. The first week of this series, this four-week series, we had Stuart Briscoe up here in his cool, smooth English accent telling us about what is justice? What does justice look like? And, and how can we even define justice? And he used some examples of maybe making straight what is crooked and the fact that we're all crooked, uh, nobody in here that's not crooked, and that God is straight and that God is the one, the defining factor between righteousness and us who are messed up. And so we saw that what a justice is, making things right according to God's character. The things are messed up in this world and they need to be made, made right. We look around and we see that this world and these people around us and ourselves included, it's not really how it ought to be. God didn't create it this way, but we made it this way. And so we think about what is justice in Micah 6.8. We talked about uh, this verse, he has told you, O man, what is good, what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, 
to love kindness and walk humbly with your God. And then we heard from Pastor uh, Dave Tate, our high school pastor, on the subject of what does justice look like in the body, in the community of believers here at TBC. And he talked about um, seeing a need within the body and working together to meet that need, John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so he even went as far as to say, you know, our small groups and our communities can, can be a window to the world. That the, the outside world that might not be in our church can look in and on our communities that are taking care of each other and meeting needs and see this is what love for one another looks like. This is an example of love to a world around us. And so our communities can do that for one another and be that example to the world. They're a window to the world. And then Chase last week challenged us uh, with what justice looks like in our city. We wrestled with Isaiah 58 and specifically this verse, verse 7, talking about a true fast and says, is it not to share your bread with the hungry, bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and to not hide yourself from your own flesh, not just your own flesh and blood, but all those around you that God has placed in your life that we're supposed to share and serve and, and meet needs and he addressed the question, who is my neighbor? Uh, given an illustration of a, did he say a fat bald guy? No, you said a, a bald guy with one eye. Yeah, that's right. I said the fat part. Uh, yeah, so he was talking about who is our neighbor? And uh, who does that look like? And he was talking about flowing rivers and things. And I had to run to the bathroom. I was uh, hearing stories about water and just made me uh, feel a little weird, but uh, but he's talking about flowing rivers and what does that look like and the fact that even the overspray of your life can inspire people to justice. That you are a person living on mission and you are serving the needs of others and meeting the needs of others and it just can't help but just splash on other people and inspire them as well. And so we think about those verses that talk about that and uh, you look up here and we see in Isaiah 58 what it's all about. And so today we're going to discuss how to go about doing justice as a body. How do we go about doing this together? In some ways, I kind of feel like a coach, you know. We've, we've, we've done the preseason, you know. We've talked about it. We've studied it. We've looked into it. And now it's ready. We're ready to go. And it's almost like I almost wore warm-ups, you know. And, and like, you know, the tearaway pants, you know. We're ready to go. We're ready to get after it. Get to work, you know. And uh, so it's important for us to see that this isn't just time for us to talk about it, but we really need to think about, all right, let's, what are we going to do here? But before we get into that, we need to be reminded of the question, what is our motivation for doing justice? Why are we doing justice? Why have we been talking for the past month about what justice looks like and what it looks like in the body and outside? What is our motivation? And the first motivation we can find is that it's a command. It's a command found throughout the whole of Scripture. We've seen in the Old Testament that it's a command there. We've also seen in the New Testament that it's a command there as well. And we've seen it throughout Scripture that God gives us this specific command to meet the needs of the hurting. We saw last week, again, in the Good Samaritan, 
where Jesus chose the most unlikely man to be the one doing justice. The Samaritan that was hated. The Samaritan that you would never as a Jew use that as an illustration. Yet he spoke to this lawyer and said, hey, go and do likewise. Follow this guy's example. Watch what he's done. He's met his needs and he's done justice to him. And so it is a command, but when we get into commands, sometimes it's a little difficult for us. I know about me, but when I was growing up and I got a command from my mom and dad, it was more of an obligation, right? Than I'm doing it joyfully. I didn't walk around when my dad was telling me what to do. Yes, father, I'll gladly do that, right? No, I was like, oh man, come on. What about him? What about Johnny? He didn't do anything. Jenny's in there watching TV. Why didn't you tell her to clean her room? And it was all about that because it really obeying my dad and my mom felt like an obligation. We don't want justice to feel like an obligation to you. Because if that's what it is, don't even bother trying to do it. Because it really will, will blow, <laughs> blow up anything we're trying to do here, even as a church, as a body, as believers. We don't want it to be an obligation. The second thing it's be, is really the motivation is that we have the love of Christ inside of us. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's something that was done in you that transformed you, that changed you. It came in, the Holy Spirit comes in, and Jesus Christ lives out His life through you, and you, as a result, live in love for one another. Now, I don't know about you, but this didn't happen to me right away. And it still is a struggle to live in love for others. But it's not like a magic moment. You pray that prayer and all of a sudden you're loving the people. You're doing justice. You have this excited heart and it's not an obligation. No. It's a maturity process. And as Jesus Christ comes into your life, you start to study the Bible. You start to read and you start to pray. And there's a transformation that takes place from one point to another. And it's justice. And it happens because the love of Christ exists in us and should be flowing out of us. But it is a process. So our motivation is Christ's love. The gospel, you can't miss the gospel here. That Jesus Christ died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again three days later, not just to give us what is called fire insurance so we can get out a hell free card. It's actually more than that. It's more than that. It's the love of Christ now coming out of us. And we live as an example of that love to others. And so it's important for us to see that this love of Jesus that he commanded us to show for other believers should overflow in tangible acts of life-giving, life-transforming love and mercy to those in need in the body, in our city, in our nation, and in the world. Now here at TBC, we take seriously this challenge of Hebrews 10.24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Stirring up one another. Pushing each other. Sometimes that stirring takes place and it's annoying. And sometimes it's painful. And sometimes people can get really bothersome with it. Come on, let's go. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing to be stirred up toward love and good deeds and good works. Part of this stirring up has taken place. A lot of this has taken place in this series. I've heard stories, other pastors have heard stories about small groups being stirred, being pushed, being challenged, heard about things happening and and God doing great works through it. I experienced this last Tuesday. 
Uh, I don't know about you guys, but our family is a little bit addicted to Chick-fil-A. I don't know what's in that chicken, but it's, I don't know. But it's, it's a little addicting. Plus, as a family on Tuesday night, you buy that value meal and you get a kid's meal free. If you don't know that, check it out, Tuesday nights. But uh, I'm not getting paid by Chick-fil-A, but it's good stuff. Uh, so I pull up and I pull into that parking lot and I pull into the spot and so crazy family, four kids. Uh, I'm off at soccer practice. Candace is over here at Kendall's game, and we're meeting in the middle at Chick-fil-A for dinner. And so I come up, and I got, I got uh, two of my kids with me. I can't remember who. I'm getting old. But uh, I pull in that parking spot, and I see this guy, and he's sitting under a tree, and he's in between the Valero station and Chick-fil-A. And I pull in there, and I get out, and immediately in my mind, I'm thinking, man, this guy might need a meal. And so I go into Chick-fil-A, Candace is ordering, and I say, hey, there's a guy out there uh, that we probably should get something for. So she orders an extra number one, of course, with sweet tea, because he's, he's in Texas, right? So that's what you do. So order the sweet tea as well, and even value size, you get that big fat sweet tea. And, uh, and we're waiting for the food to come to our table. And the food's getting ready to come, and we see this girl across the way. Uh, next to the crazy play area, and she starts talking with Candace, and they're talking about this series, and they're talking about justice, and talking about uh, how their small group's been going through it. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. And uh, before I can even say anything, she goes, oh, did you see Frank out there? And I'm like, uh, who's Frank? <laughs> and she goes, oh, Frank, he's, he's a friend of ours. We met a week or two ago here at Chick-fil-A under the tree. And uh, I just brought him a meal. I'm like, oh man, come on. I just ordered a number one and it was value size, right? And so I said, well, you know what? I'll go out and meet, meet Frank anyway. I shook his hand, sat down with him for a little while. Turns out he had a friend at a pawn shop that was coming back and I gave him uh, the number one as well. So it worked out well. But what's awesome is that these small group, these people, uh, the body of Christ, beat the local outreach pastor to the punch. They're out there serving and they're out there getting to know these guys and, and Frank is, is uh, on his way and, and they're just kind of loving him and, and seeing him when they can over there. And it's just exciting to see the stirring up of one another. You know, there's so many of you that have already been stirred up. This isn't anything new to a lot of you where you're serving and man, I just want to commend you for the service you've given over the years. So many of you are serving in organizations. Uh, we have a list of them in the bulletin up here on the screen, but I'm not going to read them all, but there's tons of organizations, more that I probably didn't even remember, but a lot of you are involved in these ministries. A lot of you are selflessly serving and have been doing so for years, and it's such a great thing to see the body of Christ doing this, and it's exciting to watch. You know, even, uh, you know, I'm not the most observant guy on the planet, but I do notice that there are a lot of people in the medical field around here. Uh, it's kind of obvious, uh, walking the halls of TVC, getting to know people a little bit. You know, and these opportunities arise in our community with medical needs that, that are really pressing. And so we have helping hands and we have Feed My Sheep and, and the Temple Community Clinic and others that are out there that you can be involved in. A lot of times, as maybe medical professionals, you can kind of think about the world. Yes, the world needs help and, and nations around us, absolutely. But sometimes we don't think about our, our front door and our backyard. And so that's a great challenge to our, our medical people that even Feed My Sheep, they just opened a new clinic and it's so exciting to watch 
the medical community embrace uh, this challenge. So as I mentioned, uh, yes, our family does love Chick-fil-A, and I, I, I thought about this uh, a little bit further because I had chicken on the brain, I guess. I don't know, but uh, I thought about this a little bit further. I was thinking about what Chick-fil-A is known for. It's known for good chicken, known for good sweet tea, but it's also known for a reply that they give when you say thank you. Anybody know what it is? So let's, let's all say it together on the count of three. One, two, three. My pleasure. My pleasure. We hear that all the time. And I was talking to Dave, our high school pastor this week, and we're joking, saying, you ever try to out my pleasure, the Chick-fil-A guy? Like, maybe say my pleasure first before they say it, you know, and really mess them up. Uh, well, there's this joke I found on the internet. Uh, it says, uh, you might not be able to read the top part. It says, before I became a cop, I worked at Chick-fil-A. I was handing a guy his ticket on one of my first traffic stops. And he muttered, thank you. And I instantly shot back with, it was my pleasure. Uh, so that uh, really doesn't tie into the message. I just thought it would make you laugh. But, uh, but the idea of my pleasure, I thought about that concept of my pleasure. What does that mean? What does that look like? And I thought, man, what... What a great reputation as a church to have if we had that reputation in our community that says, oh, TBC, oh, they go there, oh, that church, that's their pleasure to serve. Oh, there's a need in the community, someone's hurting, someone's hungry, someone needs a place to stay, someone needs encouragement, someone needs discipleship, oh, it's their pleasure. And it's my pleasure to serve. Man, what, that would be so awesome that we could be known for that. I think in some ways we are, but in some ways we have a ways to go. It's our pleasure to serve. And as a staff, kind of talking through this and how we can mobilize our people and, and our body to, to serve and, and to get plugged in as community groups to serve together, uh, God kind of pointed us down south to Austin, uh, to an organization called For the City. And this place called For the City came out of Austin Stone, and, and uh, this organization helps nonprofits get started. It helps meet, meet needs all around in the Austin area. Hundreds and hundreds of people are, uh, are uh, needs are met from organizations because of uh, a somewhat an organization that created a website that functions really as an in-between to the person that wants to get involved, the small group that wants to get involved, and connecting them to maybe what God's given them a heart for. And so I think we have uh, up here on the screen, if you guys can take your phones out, if you have a smartphone, it won't work with a flip phone, I'm sorry, um, but if you have a smartphone, you can get that out, and you can pull up TBC's homepage, uh, templebiblechurch.org, and you can pull that up, and when you scroll uh, down, you can actually see the highlights section. And in the highlight section on your phone, you can click on For the City. And when you click on For the City, it will bring up, it'll link you to a website that looks like kind of a, a searching website. And we're going to show a video that kind of helps you see this in real time. So let's check this video out here to help you understand the link. So as you go to the home page, you'll see our flashing uh, announcements. And then you go down to For the City and you click on for the city. 
And then when you go to this page, it'll give a synopsis of who we are. But in that search bar in the middle, you can type in things like food or children or things like that and needs pop up. They're populated right there, the needs that are immediate right away uh, in our community. Uh, You can also do other things like um, go to an advanced search here. And it even lets you pick the day of the week. Maybe your small group only has Monday available or Tuesday, and you click search, and every opportunity on Tuesday in our community will pop up on the screen. And so it makes it easy for you to connect. And as you connect, you can look at more details and tells you a little bit more about the need. And then when you click connect, you input your information. Uh, You can do a comment there, and you can basically uh, be connected to the supervisor of that organization. And then their responsibility is to give you a call or an email and they connect with you and your small group and you're able to start serving together. So it's a simple thing just to, that just to really try to help us as a church uh, make it a little easier for us uh, to get on board with justice in our community. And so hopefully you take advantage of that. We're going to continue to add ministries as we go. These are the ones we had so far and, um, and so we're going to continue to add them to make oppor- more opportunities available. So in this topic of justice and doing justice, there's some hesitations we have. Some are legitimate hesitations and some are just simple sin against uh, what God has commanded. But there are a few that I, I kind of thought of as I was going through this time together and just our time together here. One was from last week from the book of Isaiah, and Chase challenged us, and Isaiah challenged us to just stop. To stop looking at other people that may not look like you, act like you, may not be on the same level as you uh, financially, to stop referring to them as those people. Oh, those people. Oh, those, oh, they're not responsible. They can't take care of themselves. Or maybe they take advantage of situations or even the government. And it's those people. And we post stuff on Facebook that we need to confess and repent of because it's not godly and it's not right. We don't say those people as if we're reaching down to help them. It's an arrogant position that I put myself in and probably you do as well at times. Where we stand up here and we think those people, oh, let me reach down and help them out. These people that God has created in His image just like you. Instead of reaching across to help. Or even in a humble state, reaching up to help them. And we see in Matthew 23, Jesus, pretty good authority on this issue says, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. I know when I read those verses, I could see that I could often be referred to as this Pharisee. Neglecting justice and mercy and righteousness. And that's a challenge for us. And another hesitation or pushback we have is, man, this is a new idea. I've never really heard about this justice thing. This sounds kind of strange. And one thing we want you to understand and that I need to understand, and it's not a new thing. 
This isn't new. Now, some people may have referred to it as a different term, maybe charity, although charity doesn't quite cover it. But charity may be the reference there. And even uh, back in 1732, Jonathan Edwards preached on this. It's actually a 13-page sermon. I'm not going to read all that. But I did grab an excerpt from this. And he, his, his sermon was basically, it was the duty of charity to the poor. And here's part of it. It says, to love our neighbor as ourselves is the sum of the moral law respecting our fellow creatures. And to help them and to contribute to their relief is the most natural expression of this love. It is vain to pretend to a spirit of love to our neighbors when it is grievous to us to part with anything for their help. They who love only in word and not deed have no love in the truth. Leave it to Jonathan Edwards to make me feel horrible. But, uh, but it's a challenge and it's, it's a duty that we have to the poor, to those in need. Some of us might say, you know, my heart's not in it. Growing up, my heart wasn't in it. But that's not an excuse. Oh, God hasn't given me a passion for that yet. Well, we're going to cover that a little bit later, maybe toward the end of the sermon about your heart and what it looks like. There's a concept that I heard from Matt Carter, the pastor of Austin Stone, and this concept that you can see on the screen called crawl, walk, and run. And the idea is that there's different stages of justice as you serve and as you uh, grow in your walk with Christ and you grow in your love for others, that some of you are going to be at a point uh, where you crawl. And that's what we're asking you to do is just start by crawling. Maybe it is bringing food and dropping it behind your car once a month. And maybe there's other things that you think about that you do maybe once a quarter. And it's a crawling situation. Then you start to walk and maybe it's more than once a month. And you start getting involved a little bit more. And maybe you give a call to someone you noticed and you met that was in need and you follow up with them. And then maybe you start to jog and then all of a sudden you're running. And you're, you're doing something weekly and it's meeting needs and it's helping others and it's delivering justice to your community. And uh, with that in mind, you know, there's a, a video that, that we shot of a couple, a family uh, in our church and, and they kind of, it helps illustrate this, this concept of crawl, walk, run. So let's check that out together. My name is Russ Fothergill, and this is my wife, Cassie. We are uh, both members of this church for, I guess, about two years now. We have two children. Our daughter, Grace, is 13, and our son, Sam, is 10. We were both drawn to be involved in our churches early on, which I think led to a, a good background for us with with understanding some of the needs of the community. Um, it was even more meaningful to us when we got older because then if we looked at it from a broader context of social justice, we knew that, um, for example, me being in healthcare, um, I could be a little bit more specific in some of the things that I could offer to society. I have had the privilege to be in the teaching profession for a number of years and um, have felt that God really uses that as part of, of my ministry and I've loved the, the ministry opportunities that come within the classroom and the public school and currently I'm at South Belton Middle School and teaching 8th grade and um, it's a wonderful place to be. I've had the real privilege of getting involved in, in medical missions. Um, I'm a physician at Scott & White 
And um, most recently, the organization that I've been the most involved with is a group called Faith in Practice. Um, they're based out of Houston, and uh, we, we do medical missions specifically in um, Guatemala. And uh, we're very fortunate to go with them several years now for trips. And, and in fact, Cassie got to go um, this last time with us, and so it was great to be able to serve together. Um, God's also like led us into this place of helping um, it feed my sheep in particular, that ministry. Um, we started just by serving meals, um, just helping out, getting meals together, helping with other people, and then individually by ourselves providing meals. And then um, last Christmas, we worked um, pretty exclusively on the campaign for to help feed my sheep the organization by the building that they currently house. There's a young lady by the name of Brianna that I was able to meet at Feed My Sheep, and uh, Brianna um, was obviously living homeless and not having a place to live, and um, it was really an interesting day, the day that God said, how many times are you going to ask her where did you sleep last night before you did anything? Because we were beginning to have relationship, and um, and I would ask her, and I would listen to her response and hear her need and um, give her food to eat, but then walk away. And um, not too many days ago, about six months ago, um, I put her in my car and took her away, and we've been providing her a place to live while she's getting back on her feet. But the lessons that God's taught us through um, helping her, like walking beside someone who's struggling, have been real, just eye-opening, and living that life side-by-side with a person who's struggling and um, finding ways to help her that we didn't even know we had. You know, because social justice covers so many aspects of society, you know, it can cover education, health care, labor rights. Um, and so a lot of times it becomes sort of a political mandate. Um, and we expect our government to do those things. And, and in reality, from the very beginning, um, it should be what, what we do as a church. And so we've been blessed to be not only in a community where we felt like we could get involved easily, but also at a church where we felt like we could get involved easily because I think too many times we can come up with lots of excuses for, for why we should or shouldn't do something. But um, if you're surrounded by people who have the same beliefs and same values and the same you know motivations, it really becomes a lot easier to want to be able to serve and serve in the community. Um, and the longer we've been here, the more we felt like that. So um, it's, it's made us want to stay. So it's a good example of uh, crawling, walking, and running. Just seeing a, a couple and a family come together and, and uh, just that quote in there that just really sticks with me was how long is she going to, how many times is she going to ask this woman, where did you sleep last night before I actually did something? And uh, just a really good challenge. So we've looked at the Old Testament extensively and observed God's commands to his people concerning justice. But in order to properly conclude our Justice for All series, we need to look to the heart of Jesus on this matter. Jesus came as a fulfillment of all that is true and good in the Old Testament. So let's take a look at his heart for justice. If you want to turn in Matthew 25, um, there's a passage that we'd like to read together. 
talking about Jesus. And in this passage in Matthew 25, obviously it's toward the end of the book. And so you understand pretty clearly that this is toward the end of Jesus' life. That Jesus knows that his death is imminent. He's trying to tell his disciples, but they don't quite get it yet. And he's trying to help them understand this. And so these really, in a way, are some of Jesus' last words as he speaks. I don't know what your last words would be, you know, if you had that knowledge that you were going to go imminently. But Jesus did that, and these are the words, some of the words that he said in his last days. When this, uh, verse 31 is where we're starting. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. That sums up what Jesus thinks about justice. It sums up what Jesus says clearly in his word over and over again about who is my neighbor. When did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? When did we see you needing clothing and maybe visitation whether it's in prison or in a tough time. And Jesus says, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And again, least of these isn't those people reaching down. Least of these are humbling ourselves and reaching up to those in need. And so it pushes us to think about that and really see that there, there aren't any options. There's lots of excuses. There aren't any options when it comes to Jesus' command. John Stott has a good quote on this. He says, True love is always observant, and the eyes of Jesus never miss the sight of the need. Nobody could accuse him of being like the priest and Levite in his parable of the Good Samaritan. Of both it is written, he saw him. Yet each saw him without seeing, for he looked the other way, and so passed by on the other side. Jesus, on the other hand, truly saw. He was not afraid to look human need in the face in all its ugly reality. And what he saw invariably moved him to compassion, and so to compassionate service. Sometimes he spoke, but his compassion never dissipated itself in words. It found expression in deeds. He saw, he felt, he acted. The movement was from the eye to the heart, from the heart to the hand. His compassion was always aroused by the sight of need, and it always led to constructive action. Now this movement from from eye to heart to hand, really hit me this week. And it kind of reveals itself in in a personal story I'd like to share as we close. Uh, Growing up, uh, uh, a lot of you know, I I grew up in a pastor's home. He's still a pastor. He's 38 years now at the same church up in Philadelphia. And he's slugging away up there, just been working hard. And 
as a kid, the youngest of four, I grew up around uh, kind of a tougher area. Uh, the people that are in my dad's church are a little rough around the edges, and uh, it's, you know, it's actually pretty entertaining at times growing up as a kid, uh, but it, it was difficult. And, but what I grew up watching was, was compassion for others and attitude of service to those in need and those that are hurting. And so I, I grew up in that, but really, in a lot of ways, my heart was kind of jaded, and, and I was kind of like, you know, this is cool and everything, but it's kind of inconvenient. And uh, kind of annoying at times when I'm shoved into these opportunities, I'm, I'm obligated because that's my dad, he's the pastor, right? And so it kind of culminated, and this popped in my head as I was thinking about this, this topic, and, and uh, it culminated in this one Christmas Eve, I think I was eight or nine years old. And we're at the Christmas Eve service, and before this, in months past, maybe even a year or two past, my parents kind of took in this woman who's a single mom, comes from an abuse situation, has a daughter who uh, is mentally disabled and uh, two other sons that are a little crazy as well. And just really, you can't blame them because of what was done to them uh, before she got out of that situation. And so this woman, I've been watching my parents care for her, watching my mom take her to grocery shopping and doing these things. And, and so... We get home and, and I'm excited because I don't know about you, but in our family we have Christmas traditions. You probably do too maybe. Uh, and one Christmas tradition was a selfish one for me where, where I get to open a gift on Christmas Eve. I get to pick one under the tree and then I get to open it and uh, see what it is on Christmas Eve. And I'm all excited to go home and leave church and go to our house around the tree, open this gift. Well, my dad informs us we're not going home. I'm going home. This is our tradition. This is what we do. We go sit around and, and open this gift and have fun together and hang out. And he said, no, no, we're going to the Senzo's house. I'm like, oh, dog. Going to the Senzo's house. I knew where their house was. I'd been there before. And it's what some might call just not uh, maybe a rougher area, you know. They're, they're, they're renting up on this like second or third floor of this dingy, nasty house. And you walk up those stairs. They're barely lit. And our family goes up into that house, and we're hanging out, and we're talking, and uh, we're there, but I'm not really there. Um, I'm there, but really I'm thinking about my gift. I'm thinking about, why did my dad have to screw up this opportunity, this tradition in our family, and send us over to this house, and to be with, with these, these people, uh, right, and hanging out with them on Christmas Eve, I'm looking at my, I don't know if it was a Spider-Man digital watch. I like to imagine it is. But I'm looking at my watch like, come on, let's go. Where's my gift at? My heart was hardened. I knew Jesus as my Savior. I trusted in Him. But my heart was still hard. I needed to repent. But I didn't repent then. Some of you are like, all right, so you fell on your knees in that apartment? No, no, I was still hard and I was still selfish. I was still punk. But you know what happened? My heart wasn't in it, but I kept getting pushed. I kept getting stirred up. And my dad would put me in these situations. See, you said I wasn't going to cry, Keith, you know? You jinxed me. My dad kept putting me in these situations where I, I had to look. But not just look, I was in it. And God kept doing a work on my heart, chiseling away to say, look, stop looking at people this way. 
and embrace them. And see them as people that I sent my son to die for just like you. And I'd like to say it happened in the next week, the next two weeks, but it was years before really I started to get the picture. But you know what? I kept getting pushed. And that's what community is about. It kept pushing me into these situations to the point where I can embrace it. You know what? Still to this day, I have to repent. Still to this day, sometimes I have a bad attitude. I have an attitude of superiority or arrogance that I need to repent of. I had to repent of my wicked, selfish heart toward those in need. And so today, as we wrap things up, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and we're going to sing a couple songs. And as we think about justice and what God's called us to, I'm going to give an opportunity for you guys here to come alongside me and to first repent. In order to properly do justice within our community and within our small groups and within our own families, our heart needs to be right. And often my heart isn't right. And I need to repent first and get things right before God. And then secondly in this prayer, we can have a time where we can think about, pray about, what should our small group be involved in? What should our community be a part of? What should our family be doing? Not out of obligation, but out of love for Jesus. So I'm going to invite you guys, we don't do this often, but I'm going to invite you guys, those that are able, to come down front and to kneel right here with me as we repent of our sin and then we pray and ask God for wisdom as we look to do justice in our body and in the community. Please pray with me as we sing these songs as well.